Good morning, everybody. I hope everybody's doing well. Thank you for joining me. I had a wonderful weekend here in Lexington, Kentucky. You could probably search the planet for many years and not find a nicer weekend than we had here in Lexington. Wish it rain a little bit. Hasn't rained in five or six weeks, seven weeks, but we might get some rain later in the week, Wednesday or Thursday, I hope. I'm waiting to have a <clears throat> study that I'm trying to start, and there's no point in starting it if it doesn't rain at some point, because the grass here is well, where I'm putting the study, the tall fescue is dormant, it's brown. So hopefully get some rain, but it's been a great weekend. I hope everybody had a good weekend and starting their week off well, whether you're driving to work or you're driving somewhere else or you're out on the golf course or wherever you're at listening to this. Thank you. <clears throat> Today we're going to uh, talk about some phosphorus and starter fertilizer. We're going to talk about phosphorus all week, actually. Let me get a little lozenge here for my throat. Um, <clears throat> this week's a little unique in that we'll be here at 10 today, 10 tomorrow. And then on Wednesday, we have a guest joining us to talk about his paper on Wednesday, but it's very early. We're going to start the stream at 8 a.m. on Wednesday. So if you can't catch us live, of course, it'll be loaded immediately after the stream ends. But I really encourage everybody to try to attend or at least view the video later um, from the Wednesday show because we will have a professor uh, who's the author on the paper speak on Wednesday. Well, he'll be here with me to help explain what he did and why he did it and hopefully help me not screw anything up. On that note, um, I was speaking with the author of the paper we're going to talk about today <clears throat> and he couldn't make because he's teaching a turf class right now. <clears throat> But I told him if I screw any of this paper up, then he's welcome to come on anytime and explain what I messed up. So <laughs> hopefully I get through this and um, do the paper justice because it's a really good paper, as is the paper on Wednesday. Um, tomorrow we're going to talk about the very, well, the, as far as I know, the first paper that came out in Turfgrass that talked about phosphorus. Um, I believe it's on starter fertilizer on phosphorus. It was in the 60s, and we're going to talk about that paper tomorrow. So that's sort of the first paper that all other papers sort of come came from. At least that's my understanding of it. So today, starter fertilizer. Tomorrow, some more phosphorus fertilizer from the very first paper. Wednesday, um, phosphorus fertilizer or fertilizer for low input grasses. Okay, and then Thursday we have um, a final phosphorus paper uh, before we take a break the following week because my kids are on fall break. And I would love to sit here and do this, do all this every day of the week. But when my kids are on off school, that means uh, I'm off school. <laughs> so I'll be running around with them doing something fun during that fall break next week. Okay, let's get started. Thank you all for joining me again. We're going to be talking about this paper today, the influence of phosphorus and starter fertilizer on, on establishment of tall fescue. This, this paper was published in 2018 in Hort Science. So, so for, for those of you who haven't quite got your feet wet in the world of uh, literature, scientific literature, the ASHS, the American Society of Horticultural Sciences, so it's ashs.org, all their papers are free. They're open access, so you don't have to pay anything for them. You can go there right now and download this paper and read it, um, read the other papers that are published in Hort Science. There's a series of 
I don't want to call them rankings, but for lack of a better word, rankings of various journals. I'm probably going to go through that at one point. So you have an idea of um, how scientists value the various uh, publications, not to say that any information is inaccurate or, or whatever, but just because it's published as, as uh, the, one of the episodes early on, we talked about the hierarchy of evidence with my wife, Dr. Shaddix, Dr. Luciana Shaddix. She had a line in there. She said, just because it's published, published doesn't mean that it's that, you know, uh, you should have that much confidence in it. You kind of have to understand where it's published, who published it, who funded it, all those things. So we're going to go over that at some point. Um, and it, for Hort Science, it is one of the higher journals, okay, um, as is Hort Tech and some of the other journals. But, you know, there's a very sort of uh, the, the, the crop sciences of the world and agronomy journals. Those are very high quality journals that we have a great deal of confidence in them because it's not easy to get published in some of those journals. In other words, the, the critique, the criticism and the, the vetting and the, the scrutiny of, of the content that goes in those is substantially more than some of the other journals. So in other words, we have more confidence in information because there's probably fewer errors in them and so forth. So anyway, I'll get to that at some point. Okay. So influence of phosphorus and starter fertilizers. So this was, um, published by Lou and Landshut, Landshut, I never know, really know how to pronounce Peter's name. So, um, at, and they were at Penn State, or they're still at Penn State, or Peter's still at Penn State. I don't know if Bohan was a grad student or not. Maybe they have that in here. Um, I'm not sure if he was a grad student at the, at the time he did this or not, or if he's, he's there. I apologize for not knowing that, but, um, Published, like I said, in Hort, Hort Science 2018. Let's get into it. So as we, as they all do in the introduction, the purpose is the introduction is to explain what's going on, why they're doing it, what's important about it. And in this case, they're talking about the Chesapeake Bay. So impaired water quality in the Chesapeake Bay and other surface waters do in other surface waters due to excess phosphorus is receiving scrutiny from state and federal environmental regulation regulatory agencies. Um, so they're talking about right from the beginning, water quality. Although agricultural operations are considered the largest single source of phosphorus loading of the Chesapeake Bay, fertilizer practices in urban and suburban areas are receiving more attention as, as a source of phosphorus contamination. So they're talking about water quality, talking about phosphorus contamination in Chesapeake Bay and how the, um, the urban and suburban areas are getting more attention due to the use of phosphorus in those areas. Okay. Um, so that's, that's the setting in response to environmental concerns and phosphorus restrictions. Many fertilizer companies have reduced or eliminated phosphorus, el eliminated phosphorus in synthetic turf grass maintenance fertilizers. However, P is still present in organic and starter fertilizers. Now, if you get a chance to go at some point, we'll get into it. One of the more recent publications that I published, uh, I guess, six months or a year ago, and that uh, is the nutrient content or the nutrient management practices for um, golf courses in the United States. And in that publication, we have a, uh, some data, I don't know if it's a bar graph or if it's in a table, I don't have, I don't remember what, how I did that, but, um, in there, we, we show the use of phosphorus in locations that have phosphorus restrictions compared to those that do not have phosphorus restrictions. And we show the use of phosphorus restrictions on phosphorus use over time from 2005, all the way to the present. And, and we, sh in, in there, it's very clear that the, the regulatory bodies that have 
um, put into effect phosphorus restrictions in certain areas. In those areas, phosphorus applications have gone down greatly. So um, it's not just um, we're going to put out some pho phosphorus restrictions and see what happens and whatever. It, we don't we don't really know what happens yet in the in the world of the soil and the turf. We haven't seen a lot of numbers in that yet, but. Certainly the application of phosphorus has been reduced as a result of the regulatory restrictions on phosphorus applications. Okay. So that's, uh, that's pretty agreed upon that that's those, those restrictions are having an effect on the application of phosphorus. It's greatly reducing the amount that gets to, that is applied. Okay. So this, in this case, they're talking about, you can still apply it even to turf, but it, it's as a starter fertilizer. So it's restricting it as a maintenance fertilizer, but a starter fertilizer, you can still apply it. Starter fertilizers typically contain higher amounts of phosphorus than maintenance fertilizers, and they are applied to the soil surface at the time of seeding to hasten the establishment of turf grasses and to improve root development. The use of starter fertilizers containing phosphorus is frequently recommended for turf grass establishment by university extension publications and by public and private soil test laboratories and consulting agencies. Often recommendations for applying phosphorus containing starter fertilizers at the time of establishment are made regardless of the nutrient status of the soil of the soil okay so i'm right up here the, however however data so this is actually critical because it is true regardless of the nutrient status of the soil oftentimes even scientists will still apply starter fertilizers which i've mentioned in a couple of pre, um, previous um videos uh, just because you're starting your seeding or you're sprigging or sodding or whatever, oh, I should go out and throw out some starter fertilizer. Why? I mean, you need that's not you need to have a better reason than it's just we're starting to grow fert or starting to grow turf. So I'm starting I'm applying a starter fertilizer. That's that's not a good reason. Uh, the good reason is is that your your soil test is uh, indi indicating that the phosphorus is likely going to inhibit the growth of the of the new seedlings of turf. Okay. However, data from the cropping systems and turf grass re research suggests that at certain sites with high phosphorus, according to soil test results, high phosphorus starter fertilizers may not provide significant improvements in crop yield or rate of turf grass establishment compared with nitrogen fertilizers with low amounts of phosphorus, fertilizer with no phosphorus, and occasionally fertilizer with no N and no P. Okay, so this is what I've been talking about the last couple of days is that Oftentimes we have this preconceived notion uh, or somehow maybe perhaps you've been indoctrinated into believing that you need to apply phosphorus when you're applying, when you're starting turf grass growth or you've established turf grass, you need to do it. Well, there's many publications that have looked at this and in locations where phosphorus is already sufficient in the soil, it's very rare to actually see a benefit to applying that benefit being an increase in establishment or an in rate or an increase in the quality of turf grass during establishment, which can happen, but usually only when the phosphorus in the soil has already was is low from the beginning. Okay. Okay, we're going to continue. Uh, we're going to skip through the rest of the introduction to um, to the. Uh, I think I highlighted the objectives here. Okay, there's a little bit more down here. Okay. Uh, the authors, uh, they're talking about um, uh, field seedling establishment experiments um, by, oh, this is Hamill. This, I, I haven't covered this Hamill and Heckman paper from 2006, but I haven't covered it for a reason. Um, because then, and we're going to talk about that just briefly in this paper, but the reason I haven't covered it is because the, the critical phosphorus levels in that paper are so astronomically high 
um, that I, I want to make sure that I do it correctly because it's they're they're trying to predict what it will be. And in that paper, they showed from the field results that they don't correlate with their lab with their greenhouse prediction values. And so I don't want to put out information that might mislead you all. So if we say phosphorus is critical level, Malik three, say 20 or 30 or 40, and that paper says it's 180. You know, I don't want you to walk away with that. Well, I'm at 180 and I'm at 100, so I should apply phosphorus. That's not the case. Even the authors say that they don't, the laboratory critical values did not correlate with what they found in the field. So I haven't covered that paper yet. But they're talking about that paper. And it says in that paper, the author stated that these results represent an example of how the use of critical levels identified in greenhouse studies may have incorrectly predicted the need for phosphorus in the field. So the reason I highlighted this section right here is because when we do studies in the greenhouse, well, let's start in the lab. When we do studies in the lab, we can do a large number of units for a relatively low amount of money. And we can start to weed out certain treatments. And then we can move to the greenhouse and we have to we generally have to do a smaller number of units in the greenhouse because the expense starts going up and the size starts going down. Well, the size starts going up, but we don't have we need to scale things up in terms of the size of the pots and things. So we go to the greenhouse and then we go to the field. And the reason we do that oftentimes is because once we get to the field, we can't have 80 treatments. It's going to be ridiculously expensive to do that. And so we start in, in low scales and kind of once we kind of weed through the treatments and then we take the treatments that we think are going to be useful. We use those in the field. In this case, the authors did it in the greenhouse and said, OK, the phosphorus level should be. 180 or whatever the number is but then when they went to the field they go whoops it didn't work <laughs> so you know it, the number didn't correlate when they actually went to the field and started measuring it okay so i'll get to that paper eventually but i gotta i want to be real careful how i do that and he, he mentions it even here that there are critical levels but they didn't correlate with what was in the field okay we continue in the introduction a field study conducted by Riker investigated the influence of surface applications of nitrogen and phosphorus at typical starter fertilizer rates of Kentucky bluegrass establishment in different seeding rates during late summer, fall, and late... I think we covered this paper. I can't remember if we covered that yet, the Riker paper. The authors reportedly reported significant effects of the seeding date on establishment, but no effects were caused by the starter fertilizer. Okay, we're right here. So we did cover that paper. The starting the date was early September or even mid-September. That, that had a great influence on the establishment rate relative to October or November. But the starter fertilizer had no effect. And the author, Riker, um, postulated that was a result of the existing phosphorus in the soil at the time of establishment. Oh, well, there you go. So high fertility levels. And the, oh, there you go. So the next sentence says that. Another paper, hard. this is just the introduction again. We're to this paper. Hard, Hardbeck, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that right. Hardbeck. 2005, conducted a two-year field study to determine the effects of various phosphorus and potassium rates on the establishment of tall fescue. Tall fescue was seeded at three rates. Da, 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 da. At low phosphorus and potassium fertility location, the application of 98 kilograms of phosphorus, which is two pounds, remember, 49 is one pound, 98 is two pounds, increased spring turf cover by 21% at plots that, re that, that plots that received no phosphorus during September seeding day. So here's an example of a study where the application of two pounds of phosphorus resulted in about 20% increase relative to no phosphorus in September. However, no yield or ground cover differences due to phosphorus were observed at the high P site. Okay. The authors concluded that incorporating phosphorus at seeding should continue to be recommended practice because it improves establishment in soils with medium to low phosphorus. 
So the Hardbeck 2005 paper showed no response when the phosphorus was high, and they showed a 20% increase when the phosphorus was medium to low. Okay. So I'm just kind of giving you an idea of what's going on in the literature. Um, <clears throat> so Looney has a question in chat. I'm sorry if I missed any. I'm trying to, it's hard for me to keep up with both these things. As you know, I'm technologically incompetent. <laughs> so I'm sorry. Um, since P does not move fast in soils, could applying P at seeding make it available right where the seeds are germinating? So Looney, the concept of, and I'm not a fan of tilling in fertilizer prior to seeding or sprigging or sodding because I don't, I'm not convinced that putting fertilizer from the beginning in a location where there is zero chance the turf can take it up at that time is a good idea. In other words, where there are no roots, there's zero chance the turf grass is going to take it up on that day. So tilling in nutrients below the root zone, whether it's sprigging or seeding or sodding or plugging or whatever, the root zone is in the top centimeter or two of the soil at that time. So putting fertilizer below it is, I feel, very risky. However, with phosphorus, to your question, Looney, is, is could, uh, since P doesn't move fast in soils, with phosphorus, the concept is phosphorus doesn't really move that much. Okay, when, when phosphorus does move off-site, it's, it's generally the bulk of it comes from the actual movement of the soil itself from which, on which phosphorus is attached. So if you don't have a lot of runoff or, or movement or, or erosion of the soil, generally the phosphorus isn't going to move that much. Okay, tilling in nitrogen, tilling in um, uh, even potassium and sand soils, that's a little bit, I think, unnecessary and risky because you're putting it below the root zone. But with phosphorus, you could make an argument that you can till the phosphorus in, put it in there, and it's probably going to stay where you put it. And then in time, the roots are going to encounter it. So your question, the answer to your question is, could applying phosphorus at seeding make it available right where the seeds are germinating? It's it's likely that it it's probably going to have phosphorus from the application of the of the fertilizer in proximity to the root when it in when it grows into it yes the phosphorus isn't going to move that much under normal conditions okay um let me continue and i'll try to come back i see there's a lot of chat that's great i'm really glad you guys are participating in the chat i'll, I'll get back to it i promise let me get to the objectives finish the introduction and we'll look back so the primary objectives of this study were to determine let me right here were to determine if phosphorus in starter fertilizer applied at the time of establishment influences ground cover and foliar growth of newly established tall fescue and silt loam with a range of phosphorus during late summer and fall and to determine the changes in foliar tissue NMP and the phosphorus results of the soil test in response to pea fertilizer applied at rates typical starter fertilizer up okay so it's a little bit of a of a, of a long-winded way of saying it's a really good uh hypothesis i mean you can falsify that very clearly but basically they're going to apply phosphorus or not apply phosphorus and they're going to see what happens with the turf and the soil basically okay it's a really really good uh idea very simple study and i and i like simple studies they're great um let me read some text or some some chat real quick. it doesn't seem fair to me that blameless and individuals and professionals for the excess p in every state yeah well i agree gray some of the um new new uh, work coming out of florida has and this is something that there was always sort of indications of throughout the years throughout the last five or ten years 
but now they're starting to actually definitively show it is that a lot of the phosphorus is saying the uh, and i could get it wrong i'm live here so i'm doing my best to get the information accurate but keep in mind i make mistakes um the phosphorus i believe it's in the indian river lagoon is actually not coming from phosphorus fertilizer instead it's coming from septic systems so and they're just now starting to get some of those data out and some of the results out so I'm not saying that um, if it's coming from somebody else, then we should just ignore our responsibilities. Um, but to point the finger is oftentimes a knee-jerk reaction and if you, if you don't have enough evidence. And, and it's easy for politicians. And I've, I've sat in meetings with politicians and they say, well, we got to do something. And I go, well, that's a horrible <laughs> argument. I mean, you know, so in other words, they think, well, it's a quick fix. I can, I can say let's reduce phosphorus in the fertilizer let's eliminate phosphorus i can manage that but to go and retrofit you know 100,000 septic systems is not a something that politicians are going to win a lot of votes for okay so but if that's the source of the problem eventually we're going to find out and it seems to me that some of the data coming out here in the really the last year in florida they have found out and it seems like there's more and more mounting evidence that the, the large component of the source of phosphorus in some of these lagoons is from septic systems rather than from phosphorus fertilizers. OK, now I'm live. I'm not looking at data. I'm not looking at stuff. So bear, you know, don't take that to heart. Please double check what I'm saying. Don't take what I say as as absolute fact, because um, I'm, I'm just I'm trying to re recollect what I've read in the, in the recent past about what's going on and I might be wrong. Okay. So bear with me as I kind of meander through the, uh, the world of live YouTube here. Okay. Let me continue the materials and methods. So now let's get into what these researchers did. They did four, four field experiments involving the application of nitrogen fertilizer with and without phosphorus during a turf establishment conducted at the Turfgrass research center in the university park, Pennsylvania. Okay. So, so, in University Park, Pennsylvania during 2011 and 2012. Two of the experiments were conducted on soils that were tilled with a rototiller, and two were performed on surfaces that were core aerated and vertically sliced instead of being tilled. Okay, the question came up, I think, once in a prior stream when I, about the, the rototilling versus um, verticutting. Okay, um, I'll read through a little bit more here of this, and then I'll skip ahead. The, uh, the two experiments examining the influence of NMP fertilizer on tall fescue establishment were conducted on tilled silt loam uh, in 2011 and 12. Before starting 2011 experiment, the site consisted of a 10-year-old stand of perennial ryegrass that had not been fertilized for three years. Um, let's just continue. This is a little bit more detailed than I think we have time to go into right now. Um, let's get down to what I, what I highlighted here. Soil test results from the 2011 experiment site showed 38 milligrams per kilogram malic 3 phosphorus. Okay, so right there we know we're in malic, we're in parts per million. 38 uh, is the malic 3 phosphorus for the 2011 site. Okay, 186 parts per million malic 3 potassium, a cation exchange capacity of 14, and a pH of 6.7. So that's in the 2011 site. So the potassium doesn't seem to be limiting the, the cation exchange capacity is 14 but the phosphorus is sort of in i would say that's probably adequate but um it's it's not excessive let's just say that okay fertilizer treatments for 2011 and 2012 i, wish, I thought they had the data for 2012 did i miss it i wanted to see the soil test stuff for 2012 
I don't see it in there. Maybe I missed it. We'll get to it, I'm sure. Fertilizer treatments for the 2011 and 2012 experiment on tilled soil included one pound of N, a pound and a half of N, or something right here, pound and a half of N, uh, then one pound of N plus a half a pound of phosphorus, then one pound of N plus one pound of phosphorus, right here, one pound of phosphorus, then one pound of N plus a pound and a half of phosphorus and a non-treated control, which is critical, okay? So they're, they're applying one pound of N in all cases, it appears, yeah, one pound of N in all cases, and then the, and the other treatments are slowly increasing the phosphorus uh, in those treatments from a half a pound to a pound, a pound and a half, and so forth, to see the influence of phosphorus as it increases. And they compared that to a non-treated control. Okay, um, let's, I mean, I could have sworn they had the soil test information from 2012, but I don't, well, I know later on they mention it, so we'll get to it. I'm just probably looking over it here, missing it. Yeah, I don't see it. Okay. Here's the temperature in, uh, for the various 2011, 2012, relative to the, uh, well, the daily and high and low. We'll get, well, no need to go into that right now. Okay, so now let's get down to the some of the we are are we in the results yet? No, we're still in the materials and methods. Clippings were collected from the entire two by two meter square plot at a six centimeter height. Da -da -da, Honda, da -da -da, equipment. Okay, that's fine. Clippings were collected once on the fourth of November at the conclusion of the 2011 experiment. Due to the prolific foliar growth during 2012 experiment, separate harvests were performed. So they had they did one at the end of 2011, and then in 2012 it was growing so fast they did separate clippings. Okay, and they were combined at the end at the end of the 2012 study. Okay, to combine to to basically they grouped it all together because there was so it was growing so fast they had to do individual harvests. Um, that's all I had. So okay, so i thought there was where, where did the results start where am i missing the results start down there man they did a lot of intro on or a lot of materials and methods let me see if i'm in here somewhere is the um uh, this is odd here let me let me highlight this because i maybe somehow i missed this part right here earlier they said it was 38. Let me make sure that I'm getting this right. Okay. Huh. I don't know why they mentioned that at the beginning and now down here they're mentioning it again. So let's just go here. Immediately before commencement of the 2011 and 12 experiments, soil samples to a depth of 7.6 centimeters, which is, uh, was that six inches? were collected from the experiment site. Samples were analyzed for chemical properties at the soil testing lab. Soil test results from the 2011 experiment had indicated 270 malic 3. And soil tests from the 2012 experiment showed 66 malic 3 phosphorus. I don't know, that's weird somehow. I don't know how I... What did I mess up at the top? Soil test results showed... What in the world? So up here it says soil test results for 38 
for malic 3 phosphorus in the 2012, here it is right here, 2012, 53 malic 3 phosphorus. And then down here it says, that's the reason I need the author in here. Soil test results from indicated immediately before commencement of the experiments. If, you know, I'll, I'll have to meander through here and see if I don't screw this up because it seems like they're two different soil tests. One has 270 malic 3 phosphorus, and then 2000, the 2012 has 66 malic 3 phosphorus. Okay, we'll see how that, we'll see where we go with this. I told you I was going to screw this up, guys. Um, okay, evaluation criteria were identical among years. Okay, well, I'm not going to go into that. That's just more. Okay, so that's, that's all the materials and methods. Okay. So now what I want to talk about is the graphs. Okay, so what we're talking about here is the graphs. Um, for those listening, I'm talking about figure two, the percentage of turf ground cover assessed visually on um, October 22nd. Percent of ground cover assessed digitally on November 4th is the next graph. And then a clipping weights on November 4th. Okay. From the 2011 tilled soil, nitrogen, and phosphorus fertilizer experiment. So this is all tilled in. And this is the percent ground cover on October, the percent ground cover in November, and then the clipping weights in November. And what I want to point out is the control, which is, is the lowest uh, value here on the percent ground cover was about 40%. So if you didn't do anything, you're going to get about 40% um, ground cover. Let me see what they, how they actually, they seeded this. So let me make sure that I'm getting you guys the information you want to hear here. And that is they, um, they seeded this with um I thought I had all this already marked but I, apparently I'm losing my mind here I want to make sure that um where are we at Okay, experimental area, here we go. Experimental areas were both seeded with bullseye tall fescue at this rate, okay? So it's all seeded with fescue. So that's what we're dealing with. <coughs> okay, so seeded with fescue. And we see the percent ground cover. If you didn't do anything, it, at, uh, it's, it ends up being 40% 40, 40 ground cover. And they seeded it on September 9th. And September, so basically the 1st of September. And then they measured it the next month, the 1st of October. And after the, at the 1st of October, basically, it's 40% ground cover if you did nothing. When you added one pound of pea, it goes up to about 55%. Okay, right here, it's about 55% when you, when, you, when you add, I'm sorry, if you add one pound of nitrogen, I'm sorry, no phosphorus, one pound of nitrogen, it increases it to about 50, 60%. If you add a pound and a half of nitrogen, okay, it goes up to about 65%, which is right here. Then you, they show all the phosphorus treatments, okay? And all the, give me a second. I got some more construction out here. I, I swear my house is like a construction zone. One second.
All right. Sorry about that. I had some gutters put on my house last week, and the guys put the downspout on the on the gutter wrong, so they came back to fix it. Okay. But now that's the important stuff. Sorry to leave you at the important stuff. So they're, they're just applying nitrogen, and we see the ground cover go to 50% of one pound to a pound and a half. Now you're at 60, 65%. And then you start applying phosphorus at one pound of nitrogen. Half a pound of P, one pound of P, pound and a half of P. And this is what's important. There's no difference between any of these that include phosphorus compared to a pound and a half that of nitrogen that had no phosphorus. Okay. This is at one month after seeding. All right. When you go to two months after seeding, you see that the pound of nitrogen treatment is statistically the same. I would argue this is probably biologically significant because the pound of nitrogen is like 75 per 70, 75% cover. And the pound and a half is like 80, 85% cover. So that's, that's probably biological, but statistically there's no difference. And you keep adding phosphorus with the one pound of N and there's no benefit in terms of percent ground cover. All right. So for this trial, this run in 2000, this is the, uh, 2011 study, there were no benefits to using phosphorus for percent ground cover. All right. When you go to the clipping weights, we see that the clipping weight of the no, of nothing at all is quite low. When you add a pound, you see the, the, the clipping weight go up substantially, and then a pound and a half you go up, you see it go up, and then you add all the phosphorus in, which is all these bars down here, all these, you see no benefit in terms of clipping weights to applying phosphorus on this particular location at this year, 2011 study, okay? And I, like I said, I'm not sure what I'm missing here on the phosphorus. We'll read through the results and discussion here in a minute to make sure I'm not messing this up because one the, at the beginning it had one phosphorus level. Now it had a different phosphorus level in the 2011 study. But in this case, no benefit to applying phosphorus on seeding tall fescue in Pennsylvania in 2011. Okay. Just nitrogen did everything that it was going to do. Buying phosphorus spent cost you money and it increases environmental risk. And there was, there was no benefit in, the, in this location. And that's the other thing I want to make sure I mention. I don't forget too much here, guys, is that there, I want to make sure we're absolutely clear. The, the studies that I talk about and the results that I talk about in those studies is specific to those locations in those studies. Yes, we have to extrapolate some things out a little bit. We have to you know, use it. In, you know, we're not going to do every study at your golf course on your football field or at every lawn. We can't do those everywhere. So you have to use it for what it is. But the point is, is in Pennsylvania, tall fescue is not showing a benefit to the application of phosphorus when it's seeded. So in that general area and, and soils that are similar in that general area, I would, I would have confidence saying that there was no benefit. There should be no benefit to applying phosphorus in your, if you're in a similar setting. Okay. But you can't take those results and stick it in Southern Texas, you know, or in Dallas when you're seeding, you know, or you're, you know, you're sprigging Bermuda or you're, whatever the case is, St. Augustine grass or whatever, and just assume that it's going to be the same. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to show you multiple other studies that show the same results in terms of lack of influence from phosphorus applications. But be, be mindful. This is for this setting and try to, try to use the information 
in similar settings. Don't just spread it out into other locations that may not be similar. Okay. Cause you might not get similar results. <clears throat> okay. Now we're going to go to the 2012 study. Okay. The 2012 study is essentially the same. <laughs> okay. In fact, it is the same. There is no, and the, the, the control actually did much better than the control in the previous study in the 2011 study. But the one pound of N did everything that the two the pound and a half did, and the phosphorus didn't increase ground cover a month after a seeding. Nothing was beneficial, and even the nitrogen wasn't beneficial uh, in the uh, two months after seeding in that in that year. So even applying nitrogen was useless in 2012 for for the ground cover um, value. And then the clipping weights, you see a, a, an influence. You see a benefit to applying nitrogen with clipping weights from this from this bar to that bar. And then from the, I'm sorry, from the, if you're listening, from the non-treated um, turf to the one pound treated ter nitrogen turf. And then one pound to a pound and a half, there is no difference between these two in terms of clipping weights. And you see the addition of phosphorus, once again, does not increase clipping weights or did not increase clipping weights um, two months, or this was done... Uh, or the combined clipping weights. So this was at the end of the study, I assume. Um, there was no benefit to applying phosphorus in terms of growth or clipping weights. Okay, more of an objective measurement of of the influence of phosphorus. There wasn't a benefit in that regard. Okay, <clears throat> so I'm going to briefly read through the green stuff because I'm because uh, that's basically what I just said. But comparison between treatments using one pound of nitrogen and one pound of nitrogen plus phosphorus in 2011 revealed increased ground cover when the treatment containing phosphorus treatment contained phosphorus on October 22nd 34 days after seeding so so table 1 comparison using 2011 revealed increased ground cover when the treatment contained phosphorus on October 21 well I must have missed that then cuz I didn't see that table 1 when on on October 1 Oh, they're talking about this right here. So, so visual ground cover on to, in 2011, they're talking about the difference between one pound containing no phosphorus and the one pound containing a quarter pound of phosphorus right here did show an increase. Well, I don't know how I missed that. Is that in this? Oh, they're doing it compared to... Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, they're doing it compared to one pound. Okay, so I, what I'm saying, the, the pound and a half of nitrogen with no phosphorus had the same results as one pound of nitrogen with a quarter pound of phosphorus. So that's true. Okay. So there was benefit if you're only going to apply one pound of N. There was, a, there was an increase in the establishment rate compared to one pound of N, but not compared to a pound and a half of N. Okay, so you can avoid phosphorus, but you'd have to apply a pound and a half of N. As opposed, if you wanted to apply just one pound of N, then there was a benefit to applying phosphorus um, up, you know, up to the quarter pound of a uh, quarter pound of phosphorus rate. I apologize if I if I misled you guys on that one. I I, I realize that now. Okay, so they're talking about fifty three percent with no phosphorus, one pound of N versus seventy percent with one pound of N and a quarter pound of phosphorus. Or you can achieve that same seventy percent by applying a pound and a half of nitrogen and no phosphorus if you want to do that. I'm glad I read that. Okay. Uh, the ANOVA, the analysis of variance is what ANOVA stands for. The analysis of variance of 2011 ground cover data from a, from all tilled soil treatments showed differences between the control and all other treatments on both evaluation dates, indicating that fertilizer treatments had a positive influence on ground cover, which is what we talked about. So compared to nothing, nitrogen and nitrogen with phosphorus was better than doing nothing. 
There was less ground cover with the one pound in treatment when compared with all other fertilizer treatments on the October 2nd, 22nd rating date, but no differences were detected among any of the other fertilizer treatments, which is what I just said. Okay. So this, this bar graph here, there was a, there was a difference here. Okay. But what, but compared, compared to the other ones, there's a difference. It's a B and these are A's. And, but once, once a pound and a half of N goes out, then you don't have to apply any, anything else. Okay. Comparison between the pound of nitrogen and the pound of nitrogen plus phosphorus treatment on tilled soil showed no yield differences or positive linear or quadratic relationship between the clipping yields. And that's what I talked about in this one. There's this right here. There's no, there's no difference between any of these bars. These are all, these all have, well, there's a difference. It goes down actually from this one, but there's no incre additional increase, uh, compared to just the nitrogen applied at one pound, which is right here. Okay. And there's definitely no increase, obviously, when the nitrogen applied at a pound and a half. So increasing phosphorus rates, uh, clipping yields did not help clipping yields. All right. We're going to continue now the second year, which is what I just talked about before. We, we don't see any, it's basically it's the same thing. There's no additional benefit to the phosphorus. Now they're, um, compared to the, in this case it's compared to the pound and compared to the pound and a half in the second year. Okay. On percent cover at one month, percent cover at two months and the clipping yields at the end, there's no benefit. Okay. Let me take a second look at the chat <clears throat> and good morning, Lush. I see that runoff. Yeah. Runoff management is a huge impact. Yes. Team, team mad cow. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Runoff is, is, is a problem in some areas for sure. Yeah. So great. I, I would just say that uh, there's, you know, the comment is there's not near enough of us to be causing the problem. Seems to me that the problem comes from agricultural uses. It's an easy, it's easy to say that I can, I understand why you say that. Okay. Um, there's a, there's a lot of political stuff going on with that, but scientifically speaking, there's a lot of homeowners that don't know what they're doing and they're applying but yeah, they're only applying it to say 5,000 square feet, but they might be applying 10 or 15 or 20 times the amount of phosphorus that they would ever need to apply compared to agriculture use. So it's not as easy as just saying agriculture is applying it to a thousand acres and a homeowner is only applying it to five, you know, I'm not saying you're saying that, but it's easy to kind of think that way. And it might be true what you're saying, but we, we, we have to look at a lot more than just that. It has to be the, the rate they're applying it, the frequency they're applying it all these various factors go into, um, and so, you know, when you start pointing the finger at turf or you start pointing the finger at agriculture, or start pointing the finger at septic systems or whatever, oftentimes we find that it's not as easy as it sounds. It seemed like septic systems are probably a, a, a contributor to some of the phosphorus issues in the, in the Florida area. It seemed like that was likely some of the data was kind of coming out. Um, but it has only been recently like, okay, now we're really seeing some good data come out. And that's when as scientists, we start to really gain confidence in, in the data and in the, in the results, what's really going on. So it's the same thing with ag. It's, you're, you might be right, but you might be wrong. And so until we see, you know, someone starts to do some more data analysis and looking at it, it's not easy to simply say ag's probably the problem. Ag might be the problem, but we might be the problem too. So, um, just keep that in mind when we're, when we're looking at, you know, what is actually causing the problems. Okay. I'm going to get to the, uh, the, the discussion real quick and then we'll wrap this thing up.
Results from our four experiments revealed few significant ground cover responses to the addition of phosphorus at rates of half, one, and a pound and a half of phosphorus. That should tell you right there. There's really, they didn't find much benefit to applying phosphorus at all when it comes to percent ground cover. So there's the answer to the question of the title. Do you need to apply it? Probably not. Not in this case, at least with tall fescue in Pennsylvania on similar soils. Of 12 ground cover assessments during the four experiments, compa comparisons revealed only one instance of a higher percentage of ground cover in response to the addition of phosphorus. In this case, phosphorus treatments increased ground cover 12% to 17% at one month after seeding on tilled soil that had an initial malic 3 phosphorus level of 38. So here they're saying 38. So in that case, the initial malic 3 phosphorus of 38 showed a response once. And that we're going to get into this in the future. This is a, this is an example of the Texas sharpshooter fallacy. Okay, they they are showing the the the, the risk of of of, of the, the Texas sharpshooter, and that is they're telling you right now they did twelve experiments. Uh, or I'm sorry, they did twelve ratings. Okay, and only one of them showed a response to the application of phosphorus when the phosphorus level was 38. The other 11 didn't. So when it comes to, you know, determining the, let me see if I can do this. Yeah. So when it comes to looking at, um, whoa, something's going on here. When it comes to uh, showing that there's a difference, when you see something on a marketing um, sheet and it says, this is, this was the difference that we found 10% or 20% or 50% or whatever the number is. You don't know how many other times they ran that study and didn't see a response. They could have done a, they could have done a study with me in Fort Lauderdale, me in Kentucky, one up in Pennsylvania, one in North Carolina, one over in California, one in Texas. Who knows wherever they did it? And oh, ten of them didn't show a response, and one did. That's the one they're going to show. Okay, they're not going to show you the other ten that didn't show a response. That's that's the Texas sharpshooter fallacy, where the the the, the, the concept behind that fallacy is. People would go around the, the West in the, the late 1800s and they would shoot at a target and they'd shoot at two or three or four or five different targets and they would eventually hit a bullseye on one of them. And that's what they would show the crowd. They wouldn't show all the other all the other targets that they missed. OK, they would only show the one that they hit. And so they became known as a sharpshooter and, you know, and because they could hit a bullseye. Well, reality is they probably shot 20, 30, 40 times and then eventually hit the bullseye. And that's what's happening here. And the authors here are showing, telling you exactly what that is. They did it. Yeah, they showed a response. Sure. But they did it 12 times. <laughs> and they only showed a response once on when, when, when the Malik 3 phosphorus was 38. So be mindful of that, that potential uh, misleading information when it's, when it's presented to you. You don't know what else they did and what they're not showing you. Okay. So be very, be very mindful of that. Okay. Uh, and, by, and I can tell you very clear examples of how that happened with my research where later on it ends up in a marketing sheet and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. You know, the, they didn't show the other five times I rated it and nothing happened. Okay. So we're going to get down to, uh, the next, next paragraph. At the end of 2011 tilled soil experiments, the, the tilled of the tilled soil experiment, no increases. I'm right here. No increases. Um, no increases in ground cover or clipping yield due to the addition of phosphorus were detected at the end. However, phosphorus fertilizer treatments increased soil of malic 3 from, from 58 
with the pound of, of nitrogen and a half a pound of P treatment to 78 with the pound of nitrogen and pound and a half of phosphorus treatment. So what they're saying in real simple terms is, is that uh, there was no increases in ground cover or clipping yield, but the phosphorus in the soil is going up. And that's the same thing we showed in the last um, uh, video we, we did where the long-term application of biosolids resulted in a great inflation of phosphorus in the soil. And you could say, well, the phosphorus is still going to be in the soil and, and we're going to use it. You, you, it will take decades, if not centuries, to get the phosphorus from where it was in the previous state. I think it was 500 parts per million. Maybe three. I can't remember the number. You have to go back and look at the video. 300 or four is really, really high phosphorus levels from the application of biosolids. It would take maybe a century to get those levels back down to to more reasonable agricultural levels. Okay, um, and it, and in the meantime, that the so the phosphorus in the soil is is increasing the potential environmental risk of phosphorus entering our water bodies. Okay, and you're and you're not needing it. More importantly, you don't really need it in most cases. You're gonna apologize. My doorbell is probably gonna ring here shortly. I got a bunch of guys outside. I'm I'm sorry. <clears throat> Okay, no ground cover or yield differences were observed between the pound of nitrogen and the one pound of phosphorus, one pound of nitrogen and phosphorus treatments at any time during the 2012 tilled soil experiment, even though the initial Malik 3 phosphorus level was 53 and was below the critical response of 280. So this 280, don't, don't read into that, okay? This is the Hamill and Heckman 280 critical level that they that they uh, predicted. And then in, later in the that that. That manuscript, they say there's not a lot of uh, there's an error between what you predict in the greenhouse and what you see in the field. So don't don't take that 280 as as a number that you want to follow. Okay, be careful with that. But nevertheless, 53 parts per million omega uh, three phosphorus. They did not see a benefit to applying phosphorus at 53. Okay, Hamill and Heckman for New Jersey soils and the 97 parts per million omega three phosphorus level above which no response was observed for tall fescue in Maryland soils. And so there's just compared to, to comparing it to other research where they're saying we didn't see a response at this level. They didn't see a response at that level either, basically. Results from the 2011 and 2012 core aerated and sliced soil experiments revealed no differences in ground cover resulting from the one pound of nitrogen and one pound of nitrogen plus phosphorus treatment. Same thing. Furthermore, there was no clipping yield response from phosphorus treatments in the 2011 experiment. So whether they tilled it in or whether they sliced it in or core aerated or whatever, they didn't see any benefit to applying the phosphorus. The 2012, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say any benefit, but the, the didn't see any response in terms of ground cover. The 2012 core aerated, core aerated and sliced soil experiment with an initial Malik 3 phosphorus level of 66 kilograms per hectare, so that's more like 30 or 30, 35 or something like that parts per million phosphorus. I don't know why they switched to kilograms per hectare here. They were in they were in they were in parts per million earlier. I don't know why they switched the kilograms here. Anyway, was the only experiment in which comparisons indicated greater clipping yields resulting from phosphorus treatments when compared with the same amount of nitrogen with no phosphorus. Okay, so the 2012 study with the with the lower phosphorus level of in the low, mid to low, mid to low 30s, they did see a benefit to applying phosphorus. So if you're looking if you're in Pennsylvania or that general area and you're growing tall fescue, then we're starting to see, you can see this number 66, which is 30, 35, something like that parts per million, maybe three. That's a number probably somewhere in that number is where you might see a response to applying phosphorus according to these results. Okay. You might not, but they did. 
Okay. <clears throat> so the conclusions, we're going to wrap this whole thing up. The results of this study showed few significant tall fescue ground cover responses and variable clipping yield responses to the addition of phosphorus at rates used for starter fertilizer applications to silt loam soil during late summer and fall. Although the range of soil test phosphorus levels was limited in these experiments, meaning they, they're all generally around the same, same concentration of phosphorus. We didn't have one at five parts per million and another one at 20 and another one at 50 and another one at 100. They're all sort of the same general phosphorus level. Um, although the range of the soils test was limited in these experiments, the findings indicate that ground cover and growth responses due to phosphorus starter fertilizers do not appear to be solely related to the soil test phosphorus levels. And other factors, such as the method of establishment, tilling with a rotor tiller versus core aerating, and environmental conditions, and perhaps nitrogen content of soil may be involved. Okay, so there's more than just we need to apply phosphorus is what they're saying. There, there's other factors that could have a, a beneficial impact on the establishment or the clipping yield of, of tall fescue in Pennsylvania during establishment, not just the phosphorus. Last uh, little thing I highlighted. The experiments in this study were conducted under near optimum conditions for turf grass establishment. Therefore, the reason this is this is always sort of the <laughs> I, I need to talk to Peter about this because this we always add these in, you know, even I do. We always add like just in case, you know, the, don't read, don't put this into into policy and say everything should be this way, right? Because there's you never know. Therefore, the results may not be indicative of tall fescue growth responses to phosphorus in starter fertilizers if different soils and under and under adverse conditions exist. So they're saying that, hey, we found this under pretty good conditions. If your conditions differ, if they're worse, you know, if you're not getting rainfall or if you have bad soils or if you have low organic matter or you have high organic matter or whatever, if they're substantially different than what we found or we were using, then we can't say that, you know, you, you won't you, you won't need it. We're just saying you couldn't you didn't we didn't show any much benefit on our situation, which is true under adverse conditions, cold temperatures, limited moisture, soils with high sand or clay contents, these sorts of examples. Phosphorus containing starter fertilizers are more likely to confer an advantage in the rate of establishment. And he has some citations here to show that when phosphorus cannot be used for new establishments increasing. So, for example, if you're in, um, well, some parts of Maryland and New Jersey and there's certain areas around Chesapeake Bay where they may be completely limited at some point or, or even up where is it is. Is it in uh, Minnesota? I think where the first phosphorus restriction occurred. Well, I think it was in Minnesota. There may be areas that you just can't apply it at all. When phosphorus cannot be used, increasing nitrogen rates may be an alternative to using phosphorus containing starter fertilizers if soil test P levels are greater than 38 parts per million, maybe three. So right there, they draw a line in the sand. They say at 38, they can't say anything below 38 because they didn't do it. But at 38 parts per million, maybe three, they found um, perfectly good establishment from the application of nitrogen uh, without phosphorus. Okay, so they didn't need to apply phosphorus when they applied nitrogen, uh, so long as the soil contained 38 parts per million maybe three phosphorus or greater. So can you go out in your location and say, okay, I'm, I'm applying seed to, my, uh, to these lawns and uh, there's all the lawns are at 40 parts per million or greater. And so I don't need to apply any starter fertilizer. Maybe, <laughs> but maybe not. Okay, I can't. I can't say that. I don't know where you are. I don't know the turf you're using. I don't know the soil that it's on. I don't. You know. I don't. I don't. There's a lot more confounding factors than just that. But this is a. If you're in that area, in that general area of the United States, and you're you you know you're in a similar situation, similar soil, similar turfs, 
then there's a pretty good chance that you don't need to apply any phosphorus in your start of fertilizer to tall fescue in that general area of the United States. Okay. You're not going to see much benefit at all. And any benefit you do see um, is going to be minimal compared to just applying nitrogen at either a pound or a pound and a half. And any benefit you do say, see is going to be, um, it's going to fade out after the first couple of months anyway. At the end of the, at the, end of the studies, the yields, the, the clipping yields were, were all the same between the, the treatments that received nitrogen compared to the re- treatments that received nitrogen and phosphorus. Okay. So that's the take home message is that you probably don't need to apply phosphorus if you're, in this case, if your soil test is greater than 38 parts per million, like three phosphorus. And, and during establishment of turf grasses and, and or during establishment of tall fescue, I should say, you probably don't need it. You're probably not going to see a benefit from it. What's the disadvantage? You're paying for phosphorus that you're probably not going to see any benefit from. And you're paying for phosphorus that you're probably going to be increasing the environmental risk. Uh, and as far as, you know, contaminating water bodies or inflating microbial populations and, and water bodies and so forth, there, there's a, there is a risk there, a real, you know, agriculture risk. It's kind of like, you know, your, your part, your, your neighbor downstream is getting their drinking water, you know, out of the river and you're upstream taking a leak in it. And you're like, oh, well, you, you, know, you need to care about your neighbor in that case. And this is kind of the same thing here. You, you need to be aware that you're in, you're in your, your actions can have an impact on, on the guy down the road and the guy down the road being our children or our, our, you know, our country and our, you know, what, you know, the environment that we live in. So please be aware of that. And if you're not warm and fuzzy about that, you're wasting your money. <laughs> so, so, you know, back it off way off or just eliminate it completely and you, and you should be fine. Okay. That's all I got for today. So tomorrow I'll be on at the same time. Now I just real quick before you guys go, I cracked my tooth. I actually snapped, I broke my tooth off and I I'm on, a, I'm on a, uh, like an emergency call on the, at the dental clinic. <laughs> so if I if I'm not on, it's because I got a, a needle in my my jaw with my, fixing my tooth. It snapped off when I was outside the other day. It just broke off. So um, I'm not in any pain or anything. So don't worry about it. But I do need to get it fixed. And whenever they call me to get it fixed, I got to jump and go do it. But um, so so I should be here tomorrow at 10 a.m. I will definitely be in here on Wednesday at 8 a.m. Guys, we're going to start the show on Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. I know it's early. Um, if you can't catch it live and ask some questions to the, to the professor who's here joining me, um, you can catch, you can watch the rerun or the replay or whatever on, uh, on YouTube directly after it's posted. Okay. So that's, that's the plan for this week. I really appreciate everybody um, for showing up. I really appreciate you guys, appreciate you guys joining the chat. This really makes me happy that you guys are interested in this stuff and you seem to be using it. Uh, I'm very appreciative of, you know, everybody that participates. It really means a, a lot to me. Um, to see so many people involved with the, with the with the channel and, and interested in the content, so um, thank thank you again. I don't don't think I missed any uh, any comments or questions that I wanted to address. Um, let me so. The, okay, yeah. So yeah, okay. I think we're good. So I'll see you all tomorrow morning. Thank you all for showing up today. Have a great day. See you guys. Bye.